It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? Welcome here into the Raptors pod table. We are here to talk all Raptors. Micah Adams sitting here alongside my main man, Scott Rafferty. Scott, what's going on? Micah, not much. How are you doing? I'm wonderful, man. I'm excited to even just be thinking about the possibility of basketball being back in our lives in some way, shape, or form that does not include a 10-part documentary about events that took place two decades ago. I know, it's exciting. I'm getting, uh, based on everything that's done to happen, I'm getting a lot more opt- optimistic than I was. So, yeah, no, it's, it's exciting times. Yeah, so obviously there's no news yet about a season uh, returning or resuming. It may or may not happen, but some practice facilities starting to open, teams and players starting to shoot and work out, and, and you can at least feel as if basketball might be uh, somewhat on its way back. So that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We are going to run through kind of the biggest factors moving forward for the Toronto Raptors, how exactly they've been impacted by this month-long layoff, and what it means for them moving forward. But, you know, Scott, one of the big storylines coming, you know, if we do get basketball back, and we've heard Kevin Garnett talk about it, we've heard Shaq talk about it, and to varying degrees it's true, uh, everyone's going to be healthy, right? It, it kind of creates a level playing field in a way that I don't think we normally have, which which kind of makes that fun to think about, right? For the most part, yeah. Because if you're talking about a team like the Raptors who have battled injuries all season long, the guys who have had injuries this season, like Mark Sol and Norman Powell, are all short-term injuries. So in that way, this break could benefit them because, as you're saying, if we do have the playoffs relatively soon, everyone's going to be back. But for a team like the the Brooklyn Nets... You know, that there's, it seems unlikely that a Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving is going to play. We just learned yesterday that Utah Jazz forward Boyan Bogdanovic is out for the rest of the season after undergoing surgery. So there are a few teams that aren't going to be impacted much by this, I think, because they had guys who are going to be ruled out. But certainly for the Raptors, I mean, everyone should be back healthy um, and good to go. You'd expect so anyway. It's weird. So I, in some way, it's, it's like there's, there's two sides to this conversation, because on the one hand, like Toronto has been a team, I feel like their identity the entire season has been we are at our best kind of when our backs are against the wall, when guys are hurt, when we're counted out. It's just sort of like I, you, you kind of like Kyle Lowry goes down and Serge Ibaka goes down and then Marcus Gasol goes down and then Pascal Siakam misses time and Fred Van Fleet's out and then it's Norman Powell. And it's just kind of like the hits just keep on coming and at some point it would have just made sense for Toronto to stop winning except the exact opposite happened. I think they, they went on NBA best 21-4 and four, uh, over their last 25 games prior to the season being suspended. So, like, in one way, it's really good in the sense that there's now time for Gasol to come back healthy. There's time for Van Fleet to get back. Lowry's obviously not a spring chicken, right? Uh, but on the same token, if there was any team that kind of would have been okay with sort of navigating injury and and sort of that uncertainty, it would have been the Raptors. I, I actually don't really know where I fall on if this is something that helps them or hurts them. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I, I feel like they're going to be fine because the guys who are coming back are vets. We know Marc Gasol is not like a high usage player at this point of his career anymore. He's going to fit in. He's going to do his job. Norman Powell is having the best season of his career and everything like that. The, the interesting thing to me is that we started the season talking about how the Raptors didn't have that much depth. 
because at the time Nick Nurse was rolling probably about seven or eight deep, if I remember correctly. And then, to your point, all those injuries started to happen. And then out of nowhere, guys like Chris Boucher is stepping up, Terrence Davis is stepping up, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is stepping up. So if they're healthy and everyone is back, those are the guys whose minutes are going to get cut. Um, so, so it will be interesting. I mean, that's, that's on Nick Nurse. That's going to be a, a hard part for him to adjust to um, if the season does return because there are a lot of guys who have been a part of Toronto's success this season just because they've been one of the most injury-ridden teams in the league. Yeah, they have missed 219 games due to injury. Uh, that is the fifth most in the league behind only the Warriors, Blazers, Pistons, and Wizards. All four of those teams currently not in the playoff mix, which means that, you know, should we come back and it's just straight to the final 16, the Raptors are a team that's been impacted by injury more than any other uh, in the league the entire season. So I'll put it to you, when fully healthy, what's kind of your view of this team and where and where they can, what they can truly do with all of the pieces right there at Nurse's disposal? I don't think my opinion on this team has changed much, to be honest. I still think... I, they're going to get out of the first round. I have no doubt about that, whether they face the Nets or the Magic. They're just the far superior team. They'd have the best players on the court in those series, assuming Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving don't play, and they'd also have the best coach plus home court advantage, all that, assuming you know that's a factor. Beyond that is where it gets interesting, and I think based on how it's currently set up, they would face either the Celtics or the 76ers in the second round, um, followed by likely the Bucks in the conference finals. I think they could beat the 76ers or the Celtics in a series, Um so I think, you know, they realistic, the, the highest ceiling for this team is probably a conference finals appearance. But I, I don't know if I would pick them over either of those teams in the, in the semifinals. Well, already you're already just counting them out two rounds into the playoffs. We are going to talk more uh, sort of about their bigger, bigger, their bigger picture prospects in a minute. But you recently wrote a, uh, a playoff preview, if you will, of a sort of a projected first round matchup. Again, we have no idea what the NBA season will look like if it does come back. Uh, but let's just, for argument's sake, that the opponent in the first round is the Brooklyn Nets. You wrote about what a potential Brooklyn and Toronto first round series might look like. What are, some of the, what, what are kind of the biggest things that you were looking at when thinking just about Raptors and Nets and what a first round clash might, might entail? The biggest thing is just looking at the team they're probably going to face. Because I, I think we can assume that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are not going to play. Um, so for a team like the Raptors, actually, there's quite a lot of um, scouting that they can do on this Nets team because they've played far more games without Kyrie and Kevin Durant this season than they have played with Kyrie. So we have a pretty good idea of what they look like. And I'm not, I'm not going to bore you with the numbers or anything, but the gist of it no, is No, no, please. This is, Scott, this is the Raptors pod table. All we do is bore each other's with numbers. See, I, I, I want to hear them all, baby. I say that. I don't even have the numbers in front of me. But <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll break it down this way. Basically, without Kyrie on the court this season, the Nets have been a, re- a, a very good defense, um, playing defending teams at one of the highest rates in the league, but they've been terrible offensively. And a lot of that is because they've only had one playmaker on the court in Spencer Dinwiddie, who for a while was actually playing at an all-star level this season. But I don't think we ever, we're ever going to talk about Spencer Dinwiddie as being like a legitimate all-star. He's a really good player. He's just not at that level. So in that sense, I don't think this Nets poses as much of a threat to the Raptors. But the wild card is Karis LeVert because he's dealt with injuries yet again this season, been in and out of the lineup. But the 16 games leading up to the season being suspended, uh, he was averaging 24.1 points, 5.3 assists, and 4.9 rebounds per game. Um, the Raptors actually got a, a up close and look um, at him a couple times before the season was, was suspended. They nearly beat them during their win streak, and then the Nets actually ended Toronto's win streak 
Um, and Karis LeVert played well, really well in both those games. And basically, when he's on the court, the Nets' defense stays the same, but their offense improves by 4.5 points per 100 possessions, which is huge. So, again, I, I don't think this Nets team is actually a threat to beat the Raptors if they should meet in the first round. But if Karis LeVert's healthy, even if they don't have Kyrie and Kevin Durant, they are a little bit of a scary team. There's no denying that. It's funny because I think that if you know if Kyrie and KD were both healthy and available, uh, I mean you you kind of hinted at it earlier. This Nets team is is obviously a, a much different sort of animal, and, and we just think about them entirely differently. But then specifically with regards to Levert, I think that he would have been one of those players with with kind of like the biggest opportunity to really have a breakout performance. Not too dissimilar to kind of sort of how Pascal Siakam uh, kind of evolved and really came out firing uh, at times during last year's postseason because I think you're right. Like, I think Karis Lever is perfectly cast if he's kind of like your team's third guy or maybe number one option for five or six minute stretches or, or a second fiddle that can get hot, you know, depending upon matchups. I, I would have been really curious to see what Levert uh, would have looked like next to both Kyrie uh, and Kevin Durant, specific to this matchup. I think the Raptors, and and honestly, like maybe more than any other team in the entire league, I'm not sure if anyone has more bodies than Toronto to be able to just throw at uh, those type of you know six seven six eight kind of perimeter swing guys that can kind of do a little bit of everything. I, th- I think you know uh, you know everyone knows about. OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam's uh, received some some all D uh, love and consideration in the past. Rondé Hollis Jefferson, I, I think the matchup data has revealed Rondé Hollis Jefferson to be, I, I believe it's the most versatile player in the yep. entire league uh, it when it comes to his ability to, to kind of switch and, and and guard different types of players. And so I, I, I'm with you. I think that a potential series against the Nets kind of works in Toronto's favor, uh, you know, regardless of whether that ends up being a, a, a best of five or best of three or best of seven played at Disney World or what, whatever that might look like. Yeah, I agree. And you even throw guys like Kyle Lowry and Fred VanVleet in there. Not that, you know, they don't have the size that Pascal Siakam and OG have and everything, but they're two guys who can defend more than just their position. I mean, when, when you look at that matchup data that you were just talking about, it is incredible how many Raptors show up near the top of that list in terms of who the most versatile defenders in the league are this season. It, there's at least a handful of them, I want to say, within the top 20, um, with OG, Pascal Siakam, and Rondé at the very least. Um, they, they just have so many different guys they can throw at them. And, and it does get complicated when you throw two guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on a team because then even though they have multiple guys that they can throw at you know, multiple perimeter players, you just it stretches you a little bit more thin in that regard. But again... You seem to be. You seem to think that there's a higher chance that Kevin Durant returns than I do. Is that fair I, to say? Yeah, I I refuse to believe that that is a closed shut door case. And I know that there's been some reporting. I think it was two weekends ago uh, on the Woj Pod. Uh, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski basically stated that Kevin Durant isn't coming back. The Nets have no plans on playing him. But I do. I just think it's curious if you kind of look at some of the other tea leaves. Um, you know, I, I believe his agent gave uh, an interview with Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated uh, back in April, and he was basically non-committal. It was sort of like a, you know, we haven't really, we haven't really talked it out. We're not going to rule anything out. It's, 
it is unlikely, but it wasn't like a definitive flat, no, this isn't happening. Uh, and then more recently, the first week of May, uh, the Nets GM uh, gave an interview with a, uh, a publication in New Zealand, and he was talking about how, uh, look, we are we are not going to rush Kevin back. You know, he is not going to play unless he's 100%. Uh, but again, he w- he could have also very easily said, no, it's ludicrous. Why would we would ever bring him back? It's a it's a completely moot conversation. And he even left it uh, at the end of that interview. Is saying by I think it was something along the lines of, "Look, I've seen Kevin Durant playing. He looks like Kevin Durant again." And like I don't know. I, I just I feel like there it would have been so easy for there to just be this flat denial uh, and and a strong statement that says we're not playing him no matter what. Uh, and we've kind of received anything but that here, uh, as we have, you know, what, what's going to be at least what three months without basketball. Uh, you wrote something earlier about how, you know, uh, looking at the history of players that return from torn Achilles. And usually that timeline is at about 12, is that about nine months? Yeah. Well, it will have been at least 12, if not 13 months, uh, for Durant, you know, should basketball resume and say the, the first week of July. So I just, I don't know. I, I think that it's probably an easy assumption to make that he's not coming back, but I, I refuse to rule it out uh, because I, I just think that the league is, the, there's kind of like a title here for the taking a little bit. And if you're Brooklyn, it's it's completely playing with house money if, and it's a big if, uh, you can unequivocally say that Durant is at 100%. And we, we did something on NBA.com the other day, a little fact or fiction um, around Durant and the Nets. And one of the things we looked at was, you know, l- l- let's assume Kevin Durant does. Maybe there is a world that Kevin Durant returns for the playoffs this year or whatever. Is he the best player on the court, even without knowing what he's going to look like coming from, you know, missing 12 months with his injury? Is he going to be the best player on the court in a, a series with the Raptors? And I think we all said there's a high chance that he would, just because, one, we're talking about a top three player in the league when he's healthy. And obviously that's a huge caveat because he's torn his Achilles, which is a, a serious injury. But I think I remember reading something on Reddit that was like, he tore, Kevin Durant and Dominique Wilkins are like the two only cases of players who tore their Achilles um, in their dominant leg. So he tore his right Achilles and every other guy who's torn their Achilles and come back and not been the same player, they tore their left Achilles, at least a right-handed player. And it makes sense because if you're a right-handed player, you use your left leg a lot more when you go for laps and dunks and everything like that. You push off of it and everything. Um, so in that regard... Based on that, I'm pretty optimistic that Kevin Durant could come back and be a really good player from day one. I'm not saying he's going to be the Kevin Durant that we knew before, but even 90%, 80% of Kevin Durant, he's probably the best player in that series, right? So if, if Kevin Durant comes back and he's at 80%, are the Nets favored to win that series? And that that's my... no Kyrie. That's no Kyrie. That's That was kind of the question I was uh, I was posing to you. I, to me, like, th- there's still just too much unknown. There, there would be too much unknown in that situation for me to say I would take the Nets over the Raptors. But it it does make it a lot more interesting. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I just always tend to side with, uh, sometimes the playoffs just boils down to as simple as who has the best player, right? I mean, we, we just, the, the Toronto Raptors run to the title last season. Uh, that's exactly what played out. It was just... Uh, particularly in the in the Philly series, it was just simply we have Kawhi Leonard and you don't. I mean that's why LeBron got to eight straight finals in the East, uh, in, including on some Cavs teams that quite frankly just weren't very good. 
uh, especially, you know, when, when injuries to Kyrie, coincidentally, uh, and, and Kevin Love happened. He kind of just still got there. I'm not saying that the Brooklyn Nets with an 80% Kevin Durant fresh off the torn Achilles and not playing for 13 months uh, would, would be ready to make a finals or something. But I, I just think that there's, it just it introduces the ultimate wild card. And uh, another thing that, that I think we have to talk about uh, with regards to the Raptors and specifically the first round. So I Durant or no Durant, I, you would agree with me, right? That you would much rather play the Orlando Magic than the Brooklyn Nets in the first round if you're Toronto, correct? I, yes, I agree with you. Okay, so as of right now, uh, the Nets sit only a half game up on the Magic, and it's it's just because they've played one fewer game. They're 30 and 34. Orlando's 30 and 35. And actually, if you look at their head-to-head record, Orlando is 2-0 and against Brooklyn, right? So with, with two more meetings left on the table. So if for whatever reason they do decide to just come back, resume the season, but just go with the 16 teams slotted in as is, uh, Toronto would be playing Brooklyn instead of Orlando, thanks in part simply due to the fact that they haven't played the same number of games. Uh, because that is a tiebreaker that if they were neck and neck, Orlando would actually be the seventh seed and not the eighth seed. And, and look, we've we've seen what Toronto can do uh, to the Orlando to the Orlando Magic, and I I just think and you also don't have the 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 potential for Kevin Durant returning, which like Kevin Durant returns. I don't care that he hasn't played in 12 months and that you have no idea if you're getting 65%, 85%, 100%. That is, that is to me, a far greater something that I would want no part of under any circumstances uh, relative to seeing you know Aaron Gordon and Nikola Vucevic in the first round. Well, that's the thing. The Raptors obviously played the Magic last year in the first round and had no problems beating them after you know shocking game one. But... Marc Gasol has a history of shutting down Nikola Vucevic, who is their best offensive player. So that alone, that's a great sign for the Raptors if they were to ma- match up with the Magic. But also, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen anything that's indicated that if the season does return, that Jonathan Isaac would return to the Raptors because he underwent season-ending surgery. Um, to the Magic, you mean? Sorry, yes, to the Magic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's, he's not a big name. There's, there's a good chance that there's a lot of people out there who don't, aren't aware of how good Jonathan Isaac is because I think he's one of the best defenders in the league. But that's huge for the Magic because he would have been the guy who would match up with Pascal Siakam and he's had a little bit of success against him in the past. So suddenly, you know, there's not a clear matchup. Um, There's not someone clear to match up with Pascal Siakam in that series. So I think just those two factors alone, forget the fact that, you know, the Raptors are the far superior team and everything like that. I think they would rather play the Magic. It's funny because Jonathan Isaac is the he. I have not thought about Jonathan Jonathan Isaac since uh, since since January. Basically, I'm reading I'm reading now, and that was out. Uh, and then in February, it was uh, say that he was ruled out. And then I'm I'm looking now at an article dated March 25th uh, on OrlandoMagicDaily.com, and the headline is. Orlando's magic season delay has Jonathan Isaac eyeing potential return. Like that's the exact type of guy who we just, no one's even thought about that now thanks to this unprecedented break in action, like might just all of a sudden be back. And like, that's a really big deal. It is. He's a really good player, really good defender, a guy who can guard multiple positions, super long, everything like that. It's, It's similar to like, 
I, I really don't think the Magic. I don't think the Magic are a threat to the to the Raptors in the first round, even if he returns. But him returning would make things more, you know, a little bit more difficult for the Raptors. Okay, so we're talking about Orlando, and we, we just talked about Brooklyn. But I, w- I want to go beyond the Brooklyn Nets here because I, I do think a, you, look, you hinted at, I think realistically what Toronto's ceiling was. And that was probably a win one round and, and maybe out in a tight conference semifinal series, uh, potentially reach conference finals. However, that was under the assumption that just everything is normal. Everything as is as is. Everything is status quo. What we're dealing with right now is anything but status quo. We have no idea. Like Maybe there are shorter series. Maybe we're going to be best of five. Maybe there's best of three. I know Adam Silver said he still wants everything to be best of seven, but you know, the simple fact is we just don't know. And then there's the complicating factor of, okay, let's say the playoffs do return. It is best of seven. Okay, now we're, we're like playing in, in these like Space Jam workout style tents uh, in Las Vegas, or we're playing at the Worldwide of Sports and there's no fans in the arena. And there's just all these different variables we simply have no idea uh, what teams or players are going to react like, right? I mean, it's sort of like if it's, you know, if you're playing a football game, but then all of a sudden there's just like nonstop torrential downpour and insane wind and something that completely changes the entire flow of how a sport is played. You know, you you don't, you can't have the same thing on a basketball court, but I think all of these circumstances with the, the extended time off and how much time are we going to have to practice and what does that mean for older versus younger teams and and what about guys that typically uh, time their season to sort of be peaking at playoff time and now that that's kind of thrown out the window. My question to you is, do you think that there's enough uncertainty given everything that goes on and the conditions under which a season would, would resume that there are now more teams that could, in theory, make extended runs? Do you... Do you buy the idea that it's now more wide open because of all of this that we're going through right now? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. Because even you look at like a team like the 76ers, going into the season being suspended, Ben Simmons is dealing with a back injury that we have no idea how long he's going to be out for. And now Ben Simmons is back. And, you know, the 76ers didn't look like a title contender. But let's say that it is best of three moving forward. I don't want to play the 76ers in a best of three because their top two talent, like they could beat anyone. So in right. that regard, I do think it's it's open. You also talk about a team like the the Pacers. Oladipo's missed a lot of the season, recovering from knee injury, and suddenly he's he's got a little bit of he played a little bit before the season was being suspended. Now he has this time off to get his body right and everything. Who knows? He could hit the ground running, and suddenly the Pacers are a much scarier team than they were beforehand. So I totally agree with you. It it is more more open. I I just I don't necessarily know if I could see the Raptors making another run of the title or anything, but. After what you wrote the other day on NBA.com, you seem to think that there's actually a chance that they could go deeper because of this. I do. I, I, I think that the, the number of teams that could win the NBA title may have like doubled. Uh, and, I, and, and honestly, maybe even a little bit more than that. Uh, look, the, the 1998-99 lockout season was crazy, right? Because of the 50-game 50 50 season, everybody came back out of shape. Uh, guys took varying lengths to get back into shape during the season, and then the eight-seeded New York Knicks somehow uh, make them way. They somehow make it to the NBA Finals, and by the way, they did that thanks in part to a shortened first-round series. It was still best of five, 
right? It wasn't best of seven yet. So if that was best of seven, maybe they wouldn't have, maybe they would have lost game six and seven to the number one seed Miami Heat. Uh, but shorter series lends itself to more upsets. We just, we, I, I don't know. I, I think in looking at that, it's not apples and it's not even apples and oranges to compare the lockout season in 99 to what's going on now because there's just there's just no comparison. It's not a that's a truncated season, but one in which you're still playing nonstop from start of the regular season through the end of the of the NBA Finals. Not just a we're just going to take three months off. Um, I I just think that there is just significantly more variance now uh, in ways that like. I, I don't know, like, if if they, let's say Adam Silver comes back and he says, hey, the NBA on July 4th weekend is going to resume. In the first round of the playoffs, we're going to start with best of five. And we're not, we're just going to jump straight into it. Maybe a couple of, like, scrimmages behind closed doors, but the, there's no regular season. There's no time to do, uh, to play any games. It's, it's not worth all the extra steps it would take to get the 14 non-playoff teams back and in shape just so they can play a couple of meaningless games. Uh, now then, what, what do you do all of a sudden if a team has a month to prepare to play somebody, right? And you could, in theory, throw every crazy uh, every crazy wrinkle you could possibly think of. There'd be infinitely more scouting on one, on one opponent. Uh, I, just, I just think that all, there are all these ways that basketball is fundamentally different uh, coming straight off of a uh, straight off of three months off. I mean, we've seen all the time teams get off to bad starts to start the season. One of those uh, great Miami Heat teams, I think, weren't they like eight and nine through seventeen games or something, something like, like that? that? Yeah. Um, so, I what if what if that eight and nine happens, but it's you know if you start one and three, but it's a best of five, all of a sudden you're knocked out in a first round series. I don't know. I think that there's a lot more teams that can now uh, that can now win and sort of take advantage of kind of what's going on right now. So a good way to frame this is probably, we've talked about this the last few days, but kind of separating, breaking the league up into tiers, right? Yeah. So before the season was suspended, I think it's fair to say that the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Bucks were the three best teams or the three teams most likely to win a championship this season. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree with that. And I I think that's where we were to... At the start of the season, and then also at you know middle of March, whenever we we hit pause. So, in that case, they're in a tier by themselves, tier one. Do you think that there's any other team that should be in tier one with them right now? No, I think it's I think it's clearly those three, and then everybody else. Okay, that's, so let's that's move. how I would go. So yep. tier two, there is a clear team for me in that, which is the Houston Rockets, because although they've been very up and down this season. And their two stars have been very up and down this season. And their two stars do not have a history of playing well in the playoffs or as well in the playoffs as they do in the regular season. I think the fact that they've just gone all in on small ball and teams still don't, haven't really played against them. There's a lot of teams that haven't played against this version of the Rockets. And I think there isn't a team in the league that's going to want to play them with all this uncertainty because all it takes is for Harden to go off one game, Russell Westbrook to go hot for a couple games, and suddenly, you know, you're down 3-0 or whatever the case is. So to me, I think the Rockets are, are definitely in the second tier. What do you think? I think that the Rockets are either in the second tier by themselves, uh, and then if I had to throw another team in that tier, I think it's the Philadelphia 76ers because I think that they're just they're kind of in the similar boat where it's just 
it's just underwhelming over the course of the season. But then in a vacuum, the talent is just so outrageous at the top. Uh, and, and, and it's like a weird, it's a weird talent to match up with. The, both Houston and Philly are just built unlike really any other team in the league. So if all of a sudden those two teams catch lightning in a bottle, I think that their ceilings are probably higher than anyone else. And, and one thing to go back on with Houston really quick you know, one of the one of the reasons that Russell Westbrook and James Harden have both sort of faltered in the playoffs is they those are guys that get tired, right? Like James yeah. Harden, especially, is is you look at his numbers in Game One of a series versus versus the rest. I mean, it, it falls off completely. So I think that those are two guys that you know. Again, who knows how good of shape guys are working out and staying in right now? How much they've been shooting at all, if at all. Uh, but those are two guys to me that all of a sudden maybe they're not burdened by being burnt out after an 82 game regular season. I would throw Philly into that into that bunch as well. And this and this is strictly in terms of like teams with the best chance of winning a title, not necessarily the teams I would bank on to go farthest. Because I do still think both of those teams are more prone to first round flameouts. Uh, than a team like the Raptors. But I also think that there's a much more realistic scenario in which those two teams win the NBA title. And and Philly's a team that can just win ugly. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's say guys aren't in shape, guys' shots aren't falling and everything. They're probably even more comfortable playing a game that the end scores like 88-84 rather than 120 to 116 just because of the way they play, the guys they have and everything like that. Um, I I can see Philly being in that tier. So so that's... Yeah, that's tier so that's two. Five then. teams. Yeah. Yep. So tier right, what three. Are we, what are, tier three. Yeah. You you give me who you, is this where is this where you see kind of Toronto slotting in, or do you think that there's another tier before we get to kind of uh, the conversation about the Raptors? I think the Raptors are probably here. The Celtics are one hundred percent here, and then I think you have to throw in a team. The the Nuggets are a team that I'd thrown here. Utah, I don't think they belong in this tier anymore especially after the Bogdanovich injury I I think that's too much of a loss for them to make up for the Thunder are a weird team I don't know if I see them as like a team that actually could win the championship though Um, Dallas probably is worth mentioning just because you have Luke and Porzingis Porzingis was playing some of the best basketball's career prior to the season being suspended and it remains to be seen if he can kind of carry that in if the season does return but you have those two young guys um, I, I don't think anyone would want to face him in the first in in the first round or anything like that. Um, I don't know. I, it's pro- for me looking at this. It's probably like the Celtics, the Raptors, the Nuggets. It's probably those three teams. I don't think I'd throw the Miami Heat in there. What do you think? I don't either. I I, I think it's I think it's pretty clearly uh, pretty clearly Boston and Denver. I, I just think Boston's talent uh, is on kind of a different level than than Toronto's. Um, I think they both have probably similar floors. I, I, I would, I, I would, I would agree with you. I think that those are the three Utah to me would have, I don't think that there's a team that's been sort of, uh, not, it, it's, it's hard to say that like one team has been more like adversely impacted by all this than any, but it's, it's kind of hard to, to right. really think of a, another team just given everything with Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell. You mentioned the injury to Bogdanovich. Mike Conley wasn't playing well already. Uh, to me, Utah, if, if there's any, you know, we just, I just talked about how I think like the teams that could in theory win a title have like doubled. I actually do think that the Jazz are a team that's completely fallen out of it. I, I would give Utah 
zero shot of catching lightning in a bottle right now. But I'm with you. I think the next tier is Toronto, Boston, Denver. But I actually don't think that that's the end of the teams here that have a chance to win it. Interesting. Go on then. Okay. So if we're going to the next, the the only team. So if you look at the top 16 right now, uh, in my estimation, I, I really, in my heart of hearts, just given given just the sheer insanity about how this all might play out, I think that there are 11 teams that can win the NBA title. Okay. The only the only teams that I, I think that have, uh, and no, no, I'm sorry, not 11. I think it's 12. Uh, I think it's 12. I think that the only teams that have no shot of winning it uh, are the aforementioned Jazz just because of everything else going on around them. I don't think that the Memphis Grizzlies just, just have the horses to get it done. I do not think that the Orlando Magic, no matter what, uh, have a, have any opportunity of getting it done. And I'm just... I, I don't think that the Pacers do either. I, okay. I, I know that, I know that like the, the opportunity for Oladipo uh, to come back and, and between Turner and DeMontis Sabonis is having... Such a great year. Uh, I weirdly, I mean, uh, uh, Jeremy Lamb's injury is is kind of a kind of a really like understated wrinkle that like he's really important to that team. I'm just I'm not sure that Indiana quite has the firepower, but I, I honestly I think you can make a case for every other team that that, that should something should the, just something go right they could do it. Like I think Luca is that good, and I think you know, like you look at Dallas's. Uh, point differential of plus 6.1 it's the third best in the western conference right and if we know anything about about you know what's more important your record or your scoring margin it's been proven time and again that scoring margin is the more important sort of way to to view and and sort of frame how good how good teams are or not i think dallas is a team that can't be counted out i think oklahoma city is a team that can't be counted out uh but just with everything that Chris Paul brings to the table, and by and by the way, they're a team right now that would play against Utah. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, maybe they even catch a little bit of a a little bit of a seeding break uh, with getting an easier opponent or a weakened a weakened opponent. And then look, every look, we we don't need to go rehash Kevin Durant and the Nets, but I don't know. I think that if if is there a world in which Kevin Durant returns and he's the single best player in a playoff series um, against anyone? I don't know. I wouldn't completely bet against it and then you've seen how the nets have been able to respond without Kyrie Irving I don't know I I, I think that it's just weird enough like to make a 99 New York Knicks type run I think that option is on the board for for 12 of the 16 teams here so that's the thing for me like looking at this list it it is crazy to me to think that like Dallas could make a run but as you've been saying this whole time like we we just have no idea. We have no idea if the playoffs are coming back, how many games is going to be in each series, where those games are being held. Um, yeah, it's it could be totally wild. The, the the one team that scares me, obviously, is the Clippers because, look, they've been one of the best season, teams all season long. But I think this extended break not only gives Kawhi a chance to rest, but Paul George, more importantly. And I think if you have those two guys at 100% as soon as the playoffs start, I mean, they were already a team that nobody wants to play, but if they're getting a, a much better version than Paul George and they were getting even at the start of the season, I mean, they're just going to be even scarier. I agree. And and the, the kind of one of the weird things with the Clippers is that was a team that was just really starting to play their absolute best uh, with everyone healthy prior to them getting back or prior to the season being suspended. 
So, you know, should it pick back up and should the Clippers go on to win this, win a title in, in what would be just the strangest, craziest year? I, I kind of, I don't, not that I would feel bad for the Clippers because whoever wins this title uh, is going, there's just go, it's going to be looked at differently. Well, we can debate uh, to the moon or back whether or not it's valid for that to be the case, but we, we will always think of this one uh, as just differently, even though in my mind, the Clippers were probably the team most likely to win it all anyway. Um, so, okay, returning back to that that third tier, right? We had the Raptors, the Celtics, and the Nuggets. Within that tier, where does Toronto sit? Oof. You're going you're gonna to laugh at me. I feel like they're all just on the same same level. Because to me, <laughs> even, look, if you have a team... Shocker. Look, if you have, like, the Celtics and Raptors, we've been talking a lot about this, right? The best player in the series, a lot of that time that swings the series... I can't confidently sit here right now and tell you that Pascal Siakam or Jason Tatum is going to be the best player in that series. I would lean more towards Tatum because I think he was playing, like his peak this season has been better than Siakam's. But at the same time, it wouldn't shock me if Siakam outplayed him over the course of a series. Um, Also, Nikola Jokic has a potential. At his peak, he's a top five player in the league. So in that regard, I mean, obviously there's more to all those teams than just one player. But, yeah. but I, I think those players have a long way in the success of those teams. So for me, they're all kind of on the same field. On one hand, I view Toronto as an experienced, deep team that, um, you know, at any they, they just have so many different guys uh, that can carry them for stretches, even if they won't necessarily have the best player definitively, uh, probably in any series. On the other hand... Look, we, we talked at the very top about how uh, every team is going to be fully healthy for the most part now with, with a couple of exceptions in there. And I actually think that this is one area that hurts Toronto. Uh, they've only played 17 games the entire season uh, with uh, their full top seven available. You look closer at those 17 games, they're 11-0 against teams currently under 500, just 1-5. Uh, against teams with winning records. And the one win was against the 76ers in a game that Joel Embiid did not play. So even when when fully healthy, the Raptors have not beaten uh, one good team the entire season. Now, that comes with the massive caveat and with the massive point that I I believe I've I've given you a hard time before. Like, they still beat the Clippers, uh, or they, they still beat the Lakers in LA when they were not at full strength but the Lakers were at full strength, so you you can't really take that. Uh, you have to take all of that with a grain of salt because they, they have proven that they can beat good teams. I just, I don't know. I, I think all things being equal, Toronto, I just, I'm not sure that they have kind of the, the top shelf talent that Boston or even Denver uh, does in the form of Nikola Jokic. It's just been proven time again that you have to have to win a title. Right, so in that tier three, you'd put them below both of them is what you're saying. That is correct. So to me, the Toronto Raptors have the eighth best odds of winning the NBA title. Uh, normally, that would not get it done. But I, I do think in this weird, uh, crazy, absurd world uh, that we're living in right now in 2020, I think eighth best, you can, st- you can still actually get it done uh, as a team with the eighth best odds. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Anything can happen, right? Anything can happen, and anything will happen right here on Raptors Pod Table. Scott, I think we're going to wrap it up. Thanks for chatting, Hoops. We are so pumped uh, to be looking forward to basketball. Hopefully, that sound you hear is me banging on my wooden desk uh, for basketball to be returning. 
For Scott Rafferty, I'm Micah Adams. Thanks for tuning in right here to Raptors Pod Table. We'll be with you all coming in the days, weeks, and months ahead. Get that garbage out of here!